How we doing, Watermark? I love it. I love it. Friday was National Lollipop Day. Anybody know that? Celebrate it. I heard it. Yep. Awesome. I didn't until I heard it on the radio. Uh, when my daughter was four years old, she loved lollipops more than any human being has ever loved anything. Uh, it was just this like strange obsession. When she saw one from across the room or, or wherever we were, her eyes would get this big. She'd fixate on it. Like that was just, I mean, she would give her left arm for a lollipop. And, and so I was on this particular day, had taken my wife's car into the shop to get worked on. And there at the counter was a bowl of lollipops. And so I thought about her. I love her, you know, and I just grabbed one for her. I thought, hey, I'm going to go home a hero, you know, walk in the door, dad's home, look what I got, you know. And, uh, and so I'm thinking that's how it's going to go. I get in the car to drive home and I call my wife and I could just tell she's a little frustrated, a little irritated, a little exasperated. I'm like, what, what's wrong? She says, oh, you know, Presley's had a hard day today. So what do you mean? What did she do? She just kind of walked me through how she had struggled throughout the day. And she said, you know, when you, you get home, you're going to have to discipline her. Oh, like, can we agree as parents that one of the, the biggest challenges of parenting is, is discipline. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, good. Uh, it, it's like trying to figure the punishment, to find the punishment that fits the crime. You know, it's always a challenge. And so I walk in now thinking, you know, I'm going to be a hero. Now the first thing I have to do is to, to discipline her. And so as I walk in, hey, Presley, we need to talk. Can you go to your room? We, she goes to her room. I walk in. I say, baby girl, how was the day? And she just hangs her head in shame. She said, Daddy, I didn't make good choices today. I said, why not? <laughs> you know, you got choices. Why not make good ones? <laughs> what were you thinking? And I said, what did you do? And she just started listing it out. She had it in her head. I think she was thinking, hey, maybe if I just come clean, uh, you know, it, it'll be okay. And so she just tells me everything. One after the, you know, mean to my brothers and sisters. I was disrespectful to mommy. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And I, I listened to all of it. And then I went in my pocket and I said, hey, I got you something today. And her eyes get this big and smile stretches across her face. She's thinking, hey, it's going to be a lesson on grace, you know? And, <laughs> and I say, but, but I can't give it to you now. I hate that. She looks at me and she says, I can do whatever I want. <laughs> what just happened? They didn't teach me about this. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, who do I call Todd? I got to call somebody. The elders get them involved. Like, got the garrison demoniac over here, man. I don't know <laughs> what's going on. I'm, all, I'm like, hey, excuse me for a second. I, I'm just walking, thinking, because, because here's what's going through my mind. I'm like, I got a suite of options at this point as far as discipline goes. We can go spanking, we can go old school hand, maybe a spoon, borrow a paddle, uh, could take away privileges, you know, like no desserts until 2021, you know, we could do, we could do, um, you know, I want you to, to spend the rest of this year in your room or, or the corner or like, what, what do I do? Right. What, what option am I going to go with? But here's one that never even crossed my mind. 
Like as I'm thinking through the suite of options that I have, here's one that didn't even dawn on me. I didn't think about it for one second. And that's this one. To go back in there and be like, hey, Presley, I've really enjoyed being your dad. It's been fun these four years together. And now they've come to an end. So if you'll walk with me to the front door, you're going to go this way. We'll stay here. Please don't visit. This is done. It's funny because it's like, that's ridiculous, right? I would never do that. If I did that, you would be like, man, we're not going to listen to that guy. I'd lose all credibility with you right up front. That's, that's a crazy idea that I would break fellowship with her and say, hey, I never want to see you again. You go that way. I'm going to stay this way. I would never do that, right? But, but here's the problem is I think that a lot of us struggle with the idea that, that is that what God does? When you think about an eternal punishment and getting to a place of judgment. And we think about this idea that there's a place called heaven and a place called hell. Separation from God. It seems that he sends people. That's what we think, right? He sends people to this place of judgment. And we really wrestle with this idea. It's heavy. Right now you're thinking about you know, people who died and you don't know where they're at and you're thinking about people who are alive and you don't know where they stand with Jesus and it's a wrestling. It's hard. It's heavy. And even when you go to share your faith, this is one of the things I think that, that prevents us from talking about Jesus because we're going in with the good news and we think in the back of their minds, they're thinking, oh, you think I'm going to hell, huh? You think, you think I'm going to hell? That's why you're telling me this, right? Because you think I'm going to hell? That's heavy. Feels like so much judgment, right? We struggle. We wrestle with that idea. And I'm glad if you're wrestling with it, I'm glad you wrestle with it. Because to me, it says that you understand the weightiness of the matter, the heaviness, the, the severity of the topic. Because as I share the gospel with people, what I see is a movement toward apathy on this topic. I used to, like 10 years ago, as I'd share the gospel, I'd run into this, hey, I'm not going to worship a God that sends somebody to hell. I don't want anything to do with that God. And more and more what I run into is, eh, I don't know. Who cares? I'm alive right now, going to die one day. I don't know. Maybe the lights just go off. I don't know where you go. Heaven, hell, heh, who can really know? You don't know. I don't know. I'm just not going to think about it right now. The problem is we do know. The problem is God's word that we, we've trusted in, it, it tells us really clearly, right? That God loves people and he's provided a way to him through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we reject that provision, we end up somewhere where there's nothing to remotely remind us of the goodness of God. And so we're in this series, The Outsiders, where we're talking about Jesus' interaction with outsiders. We started in Luke chapter five, looking at the calling of Levi, how Jesus came to bring the outsiders in. And then we went Luke chapter seven, 
talking about warming our hearts toward outsiders. Adam did a great job. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter eight, the, the Gerasian demoniac, how uh, we're reluctant or why we're reluctant to rescue outsiders. And today I wanna be in Luke chapter 16. It's what's at stake. It's why we must, why we must give our lives to rescuing outsiders. It's a, it's a look into what's at stake. We're going to talk about today, those left outside forever. To say it in another word, in other words, we're, we're talking about the serious topic, the severe topic of hell. Hell. Thought about meeting outside today just so that it'd be a little more effective, you know? Uh, but I won't do that to you. As we move through Luke 16, we're gonna, and we're talking about hell, we're going to look at what it is, who is there and what we must do about it. Uh, Every week, Jesus interacts with some outsiders. This week, the outsiders are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people. And so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is, he's talking to some folks. He's just having a conversation and there's two groups of people there. You have the sinners and the tax collectors. These are people with the reputation of sin. They have a sinful reputation. And then you have the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Don't think, when I say teachers of the law, don't think attorney or lawyer, They'd be over here. No, but think about a oh, uh, cheap jab. They, they were teachers of the Bible. They were ministers, teachers of the Old Testament law. And so these were the religious people, the, the professional Christians, if you will. And Jesus, being a brilliant teacher, what he does is he starts telling stories and he puts them in the story. That's what he does. You have the, the prodigal son, the sinners and tax collectors, and the older brother, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And as they're hearing this, they're getting really frustrated. In fact, there's interruptions in the stories where it just says that they're getting mad at Jesus. Jesus starts teaching about money. He says, you can't serve both God and money. And it says in Luke 16, verse 14, the Pharisees who love money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. And Jesus says, I know your heart, man. Everything on the outside, you're at church on Sunday, You look the part, you talk the Christian ways, but I know your heart and your heart's far from God. In fact, you love stuff more than you love God. You love money more than you love God. And in fact, let me tell you guys a story. I'd like to tell you another story. And he goes, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Right about now, the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are looking down like purple and fine linen. You mean he dressed like us? He's like, yeah, he dressed like you. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. You got two men, one is comfortable, living the life of luxury. One's a beggar outside his gate, covered in sores, sad situation. His name, Lazarus, means the one God helped. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So Lazarus dies. Uh, Abraham's side is um, another name for paradise. Okay, this is the presence of God. This is heaven. Now, I don't want to confuse you, but heaven will ultimately be here on earth. And so this is a place where if you died today, you would go to where you have all the benefits of the final destination of heaven because you're in the presence of God. And that's where Lazarus was. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades. So in another place where he was in torment, underlined torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away 
with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Underline agony, underline fire. And let me say here, this is not the final destination of those who stand condemned. Uh, This is Hades. It's a place where we wait for Jesus to throw Satan into the lake of fire. Whatever is coming in the future will be worse, will only be worse than what we read today. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place. Underline that a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And he answered, I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Underline place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The first question I want to add from this, ask from this text is, what is outside the goodness of God? What is hell and what is there? He says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. What is in hell? First thing, nothing good. There's nothing good in hell. We need to know that and grasp that. There is no hell on earth because in the worst place on earth, the worst thing that you could possibly imagine that you'd experience on earth, you still sit under what is called common grace. That is the remnant of God still exists in the worst situation. The sun still comes up. The rain uh, comes on the just and the unjust. We experience the common grace of God here on earth. And so in heaven, it's the fullness of the goodness of God. On earth, there's remnants of the goodness of God. In hell, there's nothing of the goodness of God. And in hell, there is nothing good, not at all. Not one thing that we could think of. And so some people are like, well, I'm gonna go to hell and party with my friends. No, you won't. There is no beer in hell. There are no shots of Patron in hell. There is nothing to numb your pain in hell. There is no laughter. There is no smiling. There is no bluebell. Okay, it would melt. It's hot there. There's nothing that you can think of that would bring you any joy there. And that's because there's nothing of God there. The only thing of God in hell is his wrath, his judgment at your sin. See, this is important. I want you to get this. Hell is a subtraction. Hell is a subtraction. It's subtracting out the goodness of God. When you have light and you subtract light, you're left with darkness. When you have comfort and you subtract comfort, you're left with pain. And anything good in this world comes from God. Says that in the word, the 
father of heavenly lights. Everything good we received comes from the father of heavenly lights. And so when you subtract out the father of heavenly lights, the, the goodness of God, you're left with only evil. Let me illustrate this. If, if I have a banquet table up here of lots of amazing food, you look up here, you can smell it. It fills the room. You, you want to taste it. There's bright colors of fruits and vegetables, reds and yellows and greens. And, and uh, there's meats cooked to perfection, steak and filet and, and just the way you like it. And maybe a Thanksgiving feast, maybe it's a, a turkey right in the middle cooked to perfection. And your favorite side dishes surround the table. You look at it and your mouth begins to water. It's beautiful, full of life. Now, if I was to take that food and suck out all of the nutrients and anything beneficial, what would be left is rotting and decay. Or let me say it in a different way. It's a little bit graphic, but we're talking about hell. Your body does this, right? When you eat food, your body sucks out the nutrients and anything beneficial. And what are you left with? Waste excrement. And you think, wow, why would you say that? It's graphic. Because of what Jesus said. When Jesus is talking about this place, he calls it Gehenna. Gehenna was a real place south of Jerusalem. It was a dump, the Valley of Hinnom. Uh, the, The kings of Judah would sacrifice children there, babies there by fire. It was a place of rotting flesh. It's where those that couldn't afford a burial would be thrown out. The worms and the maggots would feast on their flesh. It was a place where garbage was burned and all the waste and the feces of the city would go. And Jesus says, you know that place, that place of stench and death and worms, it's worse than that. That's the closest I can get to describing what it is. So what else is there? Constant pain forever. Constant pain forever. In verses 23, 24, and 25, it says the place of torment and agony and fire. And so it's painful, but it's not just painful. It's also fixed and eternal. The pain does not subside. It does not go away. You cannot numb it. And besides all this, verse 26, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And this is why this matters, because pain is only bearable when there's hope. When you experience pain, you think, okay, there's a medication for that. I could take morphine or Advil or something to, to numb that, or I'm going to sleep at some point, or even death awaits me. You have a hope of remedy. There is no hope of that pain ever subsiding. Now imagine the worst pain you've ever felt. I don't know what it is. Worst pain you ever felt. Matt, a lot of you probably thought giving birth. At that time I gave no epidural if that was you. And you think about the height of that and think about it staying there and never going away. The worst pain you felt staying there. I've not given birth. Surprise, surprise. Um, I have had a kidney stone. Several. I'm not going to tell you it's worth than giving birth. I'm smarter than that. Uh, but, but what hurt, what was so bad about the kidney stone is, is the pain was constant. 
And I didn't know when it was going to go away. I couldn't see it. You know, I couldn't see the end of it. But I did know it was going to go away. And I could treat it with medication. So it's not the same. What's the worst pain you've experienced? Maybe stubbing your toe, full stride on the corner of the bed, pinky toe, boom, is it broken? You're doing that dance, you know, and you want to say those words that you can't say because God's watching. And, uh, and you know it, it hurts so bad, but you know it's going to go away. If you didn't, if it stayed that painful for the rest of your life, imagine. Or, or maybe it's brain freeze. Okay, some of you ate your bluebell a little too fast. Ah, and it stays there. It's not going to go away. It's forever. Not a not hundred years, not a hundred billion years, not 200 billion years. It's heavy, man. Todd will be back soon. There's no sleep, no numbing, no hope of it going away forever. In hell, there is eternal regret. Eternal regret. This is huge. This is huge because what makes hell so horrific is an understanding of all that you could have had in God and, and the choice to refuse it. Eternal regret. Well, you may have heard of FOMO or the fear of missing out. Hell is eternal FOMO. This guy looks across and he sees, he's like, I could have had, well, please go tell them. And this makes hell terrible. I was, went to Disney World when I was a child. One time I had never been outside of Texas, had never been on a, uh, had never ridden on a roller coaster and had the opportunity to go to Florida. So I'm so excited. You can imagine it was with the church and we were going to take a bus there. We were taking a bus there and, and uh, we get there and I'm in line to ride my first roller coaster. And I'm so excited thinking about what a great time we're going to have over the next several days. And in that line, something went terribly wrong in my stomach. Okay. Have you, have you ever had a cramp in your calf where it just closes up and you can't walk and you look and you see that happened in my intestines. Okay. I've, I fell over literally in pain and I'm there in Disney world in the fetal position in line for this roller coaster. They, they bring a gurney, true story. Like they come and they, they put me on this gurney and they take me uh, to an infirmary or a hospital inside Disney world. Who knew they have one. And, and there I sat in this tremendous pain, but it, the pain wasn't the worst part. It was, they put me right beside a window <laughs> and I could hear the laughter of all my friends, this, the joyful screams of them coming down the roller coasters. And I realized all that I was going to miss out on because of this stupid cramp. And it's a silly illustration, a silly illustration for what awaits the eternity of those who reject God. It's painful. There's suffering. It's eternal. It's uncomfortable. It's unsatisfied longing. You have a longing here that's only satisfied by an eternal God. It's a forever unsatisfied longing. Second Thessalonians, a horrific verse, a really terrifying verse. Chapter one, verses eight and nine says this. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And so who is shut out 
Who, who is left outside? That's my second question. Who should be left outside? As we're talking about this horrific place, we all agree it's terrible. No one wants to be there. Who should be left there? And here's the direct answer up front. Everyone. You and me and everyone else. We all deserve to be there. And you say, no, I don't. What did I do? Why do I have to go there? Well, let's just take the past few minutes. Since you've been in a church building, where your thoughts have gone, who you've judged, she's wearing that. I can't believe they're here. And what's going on over there? And why, and why would they get up in the middle? And you, these things are running through your mind. Propositions of judgment. And then you, because situations you want to control, but you can't, but you try to. And then asking, I wonder what they think of me. Do they like my dress? Do they like this shirt? Do they like what I'm wearing? I wonder what they're thinking of me. Self-obsession. Selfishness. Think about the things that you've had. Responding in anger this morning. Being critical. We deserve that. And the reason that we don't think that we deserve that is like I said up front, we think it's harsh that God would take us and set us outside. And this, my friends, is where the illustration breaks down because Presley started out inside and none of us start out inside. What, what is reality is we start outside and the father is begging us in, please come in, please come in, please come in. I'll do anything to get you in. I'll allow my son to die. If you would just come in, would you come in? I'll pay for your sins, come in. And we're like, I can do whatever I want. I don't have to go in there. He's like, Please come in. Remember where he's told this story? It's right after the prodigal son. The father sees the prodigal son, runs, picks up his robe, runs to him, embraces him, brings him inside, throws a party for him. I'm so glad you came back. This is your God. He's begging you to come in. This is our, our false view of hell that God takes us and places us outside. No, God, your entire life since you were born has been begging you to come inside. And some of you say, uh-uh. And he says, okay, I've got to shut the door now. But I want you inside. That's a right perspective. The father calling you inside. And as you think about your issue with hell, consider this. All of us are okay with someone being there. That person who did that thing to you, they can go to Hitler. Hitler can be there. I'm fine with that. I mean, you know, if I find out it's, it's Satan and Hitler and that, you know, no, maybe a couple of other people. The pedophiles, they can go. That's fine. Rapists, yeah, put them there. Murderers, well, I mean, how many times? Yeah, yeah, those guys, yeah. This is what we do with God. Hey, God, what, what are you doing? Why is there evil in the world? Why don't you deal with evil? Would you deal with all the evil, the Hitler, the murder, the rapist? Would you stop right here, though? Uh, no, pornographers? No, not those guys. The greedy? No, no. The, the Hitler? The materialistic? No, no, no. The, no, the rapist. 
The prideful, self-righteous, no, 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 murderers. You want God to deal with evil, you just want him to stop in front of you. Deal with all the other evil. What about your evil? Who's gonna deal with your evil? This man, he's so delusional. He's so swept up in his sin. He's still giving orders in hell. Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. This is a picture of a man who is so swept up in his self-obsession, so swept up in his self-obsession, his seeking of comfort that he never sees his need for Jesus. And this, my friends, is why C.S. Lewis says that hell is locked from the inside. That the only people that are there are the people who've refused to come in to the Father's beckoning. The people who've asked to be there. The people said, I'm not, no, not, I'm not gonna go your way. It's been well said that there are those uh, who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, no, thy will be done. You didn't want anything to do with me. For 76 years, I've been calling you in. But you've been so caught up in this world that you wanted nothing to do with me. Even you played the game. But we both know it was a sham. And maybe as you're out there sharing, you'll hear this. Well, I just believe that All roads eventually lead to God. You ever hear that? Don't all roads eventually lead to God? I just think all roads, you know, to each his own, everyone has their own beliefs. All roads will eventually lead to God. No, all roads eventually lead to hell, except one. And that road was paved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because friend, especially if you're a father, especially if you have children, can I just present something to you for a moment? How ridiculous would it be that God would allow his son to die for your sins if there was any other way for you to get to him? Can we agree that was foolish? And when you say all roads lead to him, you're saying, God, you wasted the death of your son. You didn't have to do that. I could have just been good. I could have just been good or I could have been good at some other religion. You let your son die. That was foolish. No, I let my son die for you because it's the only way you're going to get to me. See, every sin has to be paid for. Either in hell or on the cross. Every single one of your sins will be paid for. In hell or on the cross. The only thing you can do in hell is pay for sins. And the only people who don't go to hell are those whose sins have been paid for. That's it. Everyone else goes there to pay for their sins. But the ones who acknowledge that God paid for my sins through his son, Jesus Christ, they go to God. God gave. For God so loved the world that God gave that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. You you read this and you might be tempted to think that Jesus is going after rich people. Like, man, he just seems to have a problem with wealthy people. Jesus has no issue with rich people. He takes great issue with self-reliant people. 
people who rely on themselves, their abilities, their things, their stuff, their status. They don't need Jesus. That's what he's saying. Hey, Pharisees, teachers of the law, you guys don't understand your need for me. You keep trying to do it on your own, collecting your stuff, your trinkets, your treasures, filling your, your, your life with things to rely upon. So many of us beg God. We pray for things that ultimately will distract us from him. We pray for the, for the opportunities that we might have so that we don't need him. And God says, what you need to get into heaven is need. You have to realize your need. He's so gracious though, man. And I'm not just adding this here. Like he's so gracious. His grace is irresistible. He comes at you. He loves you. I saw a picture of this recently. Really beautiful picture. It's, it's, it ministered to me. And so don't read too much into this. It's just a story that ministered to me. We were in uh, visiting my parents and um, back home and, and I'm from this small town and, and uh, it's like cousin camp. So it's my children and all their cousins come in and uh, my mom has this kind of itinerary of things to do for them. And, and one of the things was this scavenger hunt. And so we went on this scavenger hunt, but it was in a cemetery. Nothing says fun like a good scavenger hunt in a cemetery. And, uh, and so they had a list of names of relatives who had passed away. They had to go find them in this old cemetery in, in this small town of about 150 people. And there's about 100 people in the cemetery. And so and, and the, the kids are, are walking around and right in the middle of the cemetery was this huge grave with this giant wrought iron fence around it. I mean, it was, it was clearly distinct from all the other graves, nothing around it except all the graves had come and kind of swallowed it in this fence. And my kids were like, who is that? Were they a king? You know, were they, were they royalty? Who's that? And my mom tells us, well, you know, a hundred years ago, the, the church wouldn't let that person be buried in the cemetery. They had to be buried outside. And so there was a fence around it. The, the church didn't agree with them. Wanted to keep them outside 100 years ago. And I love this picture of God's grace that as the years passed by, it swallowed them. And now they're right there in the middle, set apart. And my kids 100 years later say, Is, are they a king? Is that royalty? And it just ministered to me that that's what God does. He takes those that we reject, those sitting outside our gates, begging for food covered in sores, and he makes them kings. He makes them kings, man. That's what he does. He takes beggars and he makes them kings. We start outside and our whole life, God is begging us in. When we die, this opportunity comes to a close and those left outside are the only ones are only the ones who refuse to come in. And so how do outsiders become insiders? How do outsiders become insiders? They respond to an invitation to come in to God's kingdom. He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. But Abraham, let, let Lazarus go tell them. It's too late, bud. It's too late. It's too late. Let them listen to Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to the, God's word. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the Bible that they had then, the Moses and the prophets, if you will, they can listen to that. 
And if they don't respond to that, they're not gonna respond. It's interesting that this guy, and you gotta learn from this, his greatest regret in hell is that he couldn't go back and tell his family not to come there. That's all he wants to do in this moment. Please let someone go tell them. You could have told them when you were alive. In fact, the only evidence we have that this guy was not a believer from this text is that he didn't share the goodness of God when he was alive. He said, but let me, let me, but if somebody would raise from the dead, if Lazarus would raise from the dead, they would believe. Interesting that Jesus did raise someone from the dead in John chapter 11. Do you remember what his name was? It was Lazarus. But that's not the someone he's talking about. This is a nod at the way someone does avoid hell by believing that Jesus rose from the dead, that he paid for your sins on the cross and you're here and you're like, well, I want a sign. You got a sign. It's an empty tomb. You have a sign. You have a sign. It's it's that there's no body in a tomb, right? And Paul, when he writes about it, he says, hey, this man came back to life and over 500 people saw him, many of whom are still alive. Go ask them. Go ask them. They'll tell you. They saw him. He rose from the dead. Well, I just wish I had a sign. What, you want someone coming back to life? Writing the the best seller that has ever existed in the history of all books, in the history of books and year after year? What, you want him to reset the calendar that he would maybe be born, well, let's say 2018 years ago? You want that kind of sign? What if you just believed the signs you had and you surrendered your life to that? In sharing the gospel with this young man, he, he said, I'm not going to believe in a God who sends someone to hell. I said, buddy, you're not going to win. Like that's where you're going to get down there and be like, I, I told you I wouldn't believe in you. I knew you'd send me here. Said, that's foolish. And he says, well, you know what? But the, there's some people that haven't heard. And I said, but you have heard. But what about those who haven't heard? See, I'm not going to respond to the gospel because some people haven't heard the gospel. I said, man, that logic breaks down so fast, young man. Let me tell you something, okay? Where else are you going to apply that? There's some people that don't have homes, so I'm going to go homeless. There's some, you know, there's people that don't have jobs, so I refuse my paycheck. What makes you think that a logic that breaks down in our reality so fast applies to eternity? Well, what about those who haven't heard? What about you who has heard? I don't know who has and hasn't heard, but I know that you have now. And this guy, he says, well, I just believe that Jesus was just a man. I believe he was just a man. So let me ask you a question. How do you know? How do you know about Jesus? What do you mean? How do I know about Jesus? How do you know about like Jesus Christ? How do you know about him? He says, everybody knows about Jesus. (laughs) let's go back a few minutes ago when you said there were all these people who didn't know about Jesus Um, but but that's fine everybody knows about Jesus how do they know about Jesus I don't know you know the Bible the Bible tells you so you believe in Jesus and your source is the Bible but do you know who the Bible says that Jesus is why would you believe 
some of it and not all. The Bible says that Jesus was the son of God, God in the flesh. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one gets to the father except through him. Why do you get to choose, pick and choose what you believe from the source that you cite? Not to mention Tacitus, not to mention Josephus, Flavius, Jewish historians that also wrote about this character in history named Jesus. That book also says there's a heaven and a hell and that God made a way for you to get to him. And you say, how can a good God send anyone to hell? It's the wrong question. How can a good, holy, righteous God allow any sinner into his presence? And the answer is that that good, gracious, holy, righteous God provided a way and it cost him his son. The suffering and the torture and the murder of his son, all of your sins going on him, crushing him to death. But he's bigger than death. That's the God that we worship. He's bigger than death. And so in summary, hell is outside of God's goodness. And everyone should be left outside, but Jesus invited people inside. And now is our chance to invite people inside. Presley, I can do whatever I want. Like that doesn't even make sense. Like, why are you saying that? I just grab a trash can, put it in front of her. Say, you see what that is? Yeah, it's a, tr- it's a trash can. I said, it is a trash can. And this is some goodness that I had for you that I wanted to give to you. But because of what you've chosen, you lost that forever. To which she said, I can do whatever I want. Oh man, why would you say that? Let me show you something. You know what this is? This is the good stuff. This is top shelf. Seize candy lollipops. Okay, really overpriced lollipops. This was a gift to me. You didn't know I had it, but I've been saving it for you. I was waiting for just the right time to invite you into a goodness that you didn't even know existed. And I gotta tell you now that because of what you've done, you've lost that forever. And this is what we have to understand. What makes hell so horrific is that God is so amazing. What makes heaven so incredible is that God is there. What makes hell so horrific is there's nothing there that remotely resembles God or any of his goodness. And and we can't imagine when you subtract God out of the equation, the, the pure evil that you've never seen or witnessed that's left. And God, the father is just inviting you into his goodness. Would you share into my goodness with me? And we have a choice to come in or to stay outside. And so when you came in here, you received a lollipop. Some of you have eaten it. That's unfortunate. Uh, (laughs) I want it to serve as a reminder to you. Put it somewhere where you trip over it, where you see it. And, And it's just a reminder that as you leave, your opportunity is to invite others into the goodness of God. 
It's all, it's just that. What about hell? What about the goodness of God that I'm inviting you into? Hell is just you avoiding that goodness. It's just you rejecting that goodness. He wants you in. He sent me to tell you. That's why we're having this conversation. Would you come inside? Would you share in his goodness? Let me pray that we would. And Father, we love you and just we're grateful that you give these convicting texts, these really convicting stories that cause us to reflect on our lives. Father, some of us, we just confess we're much more like the Pharisees and the tax collector, or the, I'm sorry, the teacher of the law. We don't have the brokenness and the humility of the tax collector and the sinner that realizes their need for you. We're going through life self-reliant. And Father, right now, we just, we come to the end of that and we say, we need you. You are our living hope. You are the hope that we cling to. We know that there was a chasm between us and that you crossed it through your son, Jesus Christ that you provided a way to you paved in his blood. Father, as we sing and worship you now, would you stir that in our hearts? Please, God, in Jesus' name, amen.